Let's pray. Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the light that comes into us because as we read it, something happens. There's The Holy Spirit is working in us and among us. And so we invite you. We ask you to help us to see the, what you want us to see and then give us the grace to do what you want us to do. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm kicking off a new series this week called Pray First. We're going we're gonna to talk for a couple, three weeks about uh, praying first. If you need a message uh, sheet that you didn't get, uh, message notes, the ushers have them, and uh, you could take advantage of that. But we're, we're jumping off into this idea of praying first. Just before we get to kind of some ideas, I was looking at, um, I was looking at different, different ways to make a point today, and uh, and, and, and I found this video um, that I want you guys to watch. I, I think it's uh, hilarious and sad all at the same time. So uh, check out this, ki- this kid who has a, a bad day golfing. saw that I thought it was so funny um, and so sad at the same time. Um, but I, I, can I tell you that I know uh, people who essentially act this way as grown humans. I mean, when things don't go their way, they get really angry and they essentially throw a fit. If you don't learn how to deal with adversity and difficulty and suffering as you're, as a child, you just keep throwing a fit all throughout your adult life. I know some grown men who throw worse fits than that. And it's most of the time, it's because we're not getting what we want. Because we want so many things. We want so many things and we want things to be just as we, as we want them. And, and, and God wired us up you know, to have some appetites. There's no doubt that he did. There are, <clears throat> there are six appetites that God created within us, and they're listed there on your message notes, but they're just food, right? We like food. We, we love the, to, to have food. We get hungry. We have an appetite for food. We love knowledge. We love to, to learn things. We, we, we love intimacy and sex. There's, God created that. That's a, that's a good thing. There's a desire for it. That's, that's within us. Pleasure, um, all, all kinds of things that create pleasure, um, status. We, we have a we have a appetite for for accomplishing and doing things. We have a we have an appetite for purpose. We have an appetite for meaning in our lives. We want what we what we do to count. And all these are God given appetites, but they are appetites that can only be satisfied in God approved ways. And what happens is we try to do try to to get what we want in ways that are not God approved, and that's what we call sin. Sin is satisfying any appetite in a way that is not God approved. Sin is satisfied. There, there, in each of these areas, you could look through the scriptures and you can find the God approved way of dealing 
with these appetites. We're all working with cravings. We're all working with trying to figure out what we want and how that works in our lives. We're all trying to manage our appetites. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those, this is what Jesus said about it. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So the question today is, what are you hungry for? What are you craving? And let's, 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 let's define the difference between hunger and appetite, right? Because they are different. Hunger actually deals with need because it's, it's, your, your body is hungry and that's a design uh, of God. And so you, 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 you hunger for something and, you, and there's, there's blood sugar levels and all kinds of stuff. After about four hours, you start feeling hungry and your body kind of wants some more um, some, some more food, some more uh, fuel, and, and, and so, but, but real, of course, real starvation doesn't happen until, you know, you've gone without food for more than 21 days, by the way. More than, well, that's, when, that's when it really starts to kick in, and 40 days is really kind of the line, right? After 40 days, that's when you're really starting to uh, lose all the functions of the body if you don't eat anything. And so, um, so there's a need here, and it's, and it's uh, physiological, but appetite is a desire. Appetite is a desire. And our appetites are more psychological. They're, they're things, it's like, it's like if, you, if you had one helping at Christmas dinner, and you, because you were hungry, then your appetite is having a second helping just because it all smells so good and looks so good and tastes so good. Satisfaction is really the fundamental issue that we're having to deal with as humans. And this satisfaction idea is a human dynamic, what we want, what we, what we have appetites for, what, what we crave. And I want to show you that this happened very early in the Garden of Eden. Turn to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Genesis 3, 1. And we're going to look at very early what happened as Adam and Eve were created, put in this beautiful garden. God gave them some, just a couple of rules to live by, but offered them everything that they could want or need he offered them purpose he, he, he asked them to work it work the garden to be in charge of it now here's verse one in chapter three of genesis it says now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the lord god had made and he said to the woman did god really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden this is what the devil always does a seed of doubt did he really say that Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fr fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must eat, not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. So after the seed of doubt is planted, verse 4 creates the direct lie, the direct resistance to what God has said. Verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And, and what, what the devil does here is he, he tries to impugn God's character here by saying, God's holding out on you. 
he's holding something back from you because he did, he wants to control you and he wants to he he wants to make sure that you don't have what he has. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. God's desire is to give you everything that he has. The scriptures, I think, if you look at the narrative of scripture, what you will find is that God is constantly trying to help people receive him, receive the best of all he has. And, and it's misunderstood throughout the scriptures because of some disobedience and because of some, some regulations that God puts in place here. So God does, has said that they can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but there's one they shouldn't eat from because it won't be good for them. <laughs> some of you, I know, when you hear this story, some of you think, well, why did he even put it there if he didn't want them to eat from it? Okay, well, let me just, I'm going to say this, I don't, I'm not going to, the message is not about this, but let me just say this, that the only way to have true relationship if, is if somebody chooses it. And, and God was willing, right, to pay the price, the possible cost for relationship. The mess of the world we live in, right, the decisions that people make, he was willing to give us decision-making ability. And he was willing to risk the mess we live in now for the sake of, for the desire for relationship with you and me. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? He, he, he wants relationship so badly, he was willing to give us the opportunity to choose anything. So the devil tempts Eve. He, he, he is, he's planting a seed of doubt. Verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. <clears throat> she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, standing there like a dummy. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. If you look throughout the scripture, what you find is that God is not interested in just regulations. He is not interested in activities as much as he's interested in hearts. He wants to give life Right? He, the tree of life is what he said you can eat from, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a damaging tree. It's a damaging fruit in your life. And that's why, you, you, that's why we see so many religious people, not just Christians, but religions of all kinds becoming mean and cruel and legalistic because the knowledge of good and evil does satisfy a little bit. There is a satisfaction that comes when you can do the right thing or when you exact the, the requirement on somebody else and they perform. There is some element of satisfaction, but, but ultimately it damages you. Verse 8 <clears throat> says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide? They were afraid. They were afraid of him. He, I assume that walking in the garden in the cool of the day was a pretty routine thing for God, that they would <clears throat> interact pretty routinely. Verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? <laughs> as if he didn't know. 
Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. One of the best verses in the Bible is verse 11. So interesting. I love this phrase. And he said, who told you you were naked? Like, who, who said that to you? Who told you you were naked? Because before this, they were living in, in a type of innocence and freedom that they enjoyed with each other and with him. But suddenly they're full of fear. Suddenly they're full of, of uh, distrust of God and unsure what is going to happen. He says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me. <laughs> so the first thing that happens is God says, what did you do? Did you eat from the tree? The woman. The result, the result of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is blame and accusation because it's always going to be somebody else's fault. It, it happens immediately. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. She, he becomes the victim. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent. It's not me, it's the serpent. See, I, she's blaming. She becomes the victim. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord, and then the Lord God begins to say to the serpent what he's going to do to him and how, uh, what damage has been done. He talks about how the, the ground is cursed. He talks about how the process, how things are going to be more difficult from here on out. Interestingly enough, though, God had a plan. He had a plan to bring life back into the world. His name was Jesus. But here's what I want you to see from this story. Adam and Eve found themselves dissatisfied with what God had provided. Think about this. They've got all they can eat. They're at peace with all the animals. They're, they're, they're uh, laboring in the garden. They're, they, they have no cares. They have no concerns. They have no worries. They have no anxiety. They have nothing that they need. They're interacting with him on a routine basis. It is so wonderful. And yet there is a dissatisfaction that they give in to. dissatisfaction often begins with a tiny little thought, a seed of doubt, a, a belief in a lie. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he says, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Look, people, our destiny begins with our thoughts. How we see God and how we see this life we're living. How we are satisfied with him or not. How do we become dissatisfied? Number one, we don't realize what God has given us. We don't realize what God's given us. He's provided, if you think about it, he's provided for us. Because of Christ, because of the work of Christ, he's provided for us the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter and the counselor. He's provided for us the word of God, which is his truth, his light that shines into our hearts. He's provided for us the community of, of God's people to walk with us on this journey. He's provided for us the, the, his name, which he said you can pray in his name. You can have the authority that I've given you. He's given us life and life more abundantly according to John 10.10. 10. First Peter says he's, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. He has provided so many things and yet we become dissatisfied. 
Number two, we listen to the lies we're told. Oh, you need something else. You need something more than what God has provided. You need something different than what God has provided. Sometimes that lie comes from a deep hurt or wounded place inside of us. Sometimes it comes from others. Sometimes it just comes from commercials. But we listen to the lies we're told. Number three, we fear that we won't have enough. I got to get more. The problem is that we set our attention on the things of the world rather than focusing our attention on Jesus. We, we're talking about how, what I want to talk about over the next few weeks is cultivating an appetite for God instead of a craving for the world. God wants us to be satisfied with him. And I think, I think when we fast, we tap into the idea of being satisfied with him. Increasing our spiritual appetites. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. This is so hard for us. So often we, we are so consumed with what the bad things that are happening around us or the disappointments or the frustrations and we end up kicking and screaming and falling down on the ground because something didn't go our way. So how do we fix this? How do we fix our thoughts? How do we change our thoughts? See, Jesus, I think, has a, a way to do it. And, and I, think, I think if we understand how to start every day with the right thoughts, with the right ideas, with the right perspective, then something different happens. I, I'm pretty convinced that spending time with Jesus every day is the solution. Sp spending time with, well, isn't he everywhere, so I'm with him all the time? No, I'm talking about intentional time. I'm talking about the kind of time where you set your attention on the scripture, you set your attention on him, you pray, you have a moment. This is what 6 a.m. prayer is really all about. This is, what, this is why we're doing this. Every day, 6 a.m., we're going to come here and we're going to set our focus for 2015. We're going to look at the year and say, God, the whole year belongs to you. But you know how we're going to start it? We're going to start it by consecrating ourselves to you. So look, turn over to, turn over to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6, I think here is a secret in the Sermon on the Mount, an incredible, incredible ideas that God gives us to help us with our thoughts, to help us understand how to spend time with him. Verse 1 in chapter 6 says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Oh, you know what that is? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You do the activities because people expect you to do it. You do activities because you want other people to see that you're okay. Don't do it to be seen. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by them. It's shocking to me that this process had disintegrated. The giving to the poor had disintegrated into announcing with trumpets. But he says, this is how it works. I'm giving to the poor now. Please, everyone, notice. There is a tendency to wear our religion out in front of people so that they can see us. Jesus is saying here, that's not, that's not the kind of religion I want. 
I want something different. Look what he says. He says, I tell you the truth that they have received their reward in full. I love how Jesus gives a reward to everybody. If you want to do it for people, congratulations, you have your reward. If you want to do it for the applause of men, great. But if you want a greater reward, here's what you do. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That little phrase, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, it's a little, it's a funny phrase if you've ever tried to, to not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. <laughs> Takes a really smart brain to do that. What he's really saying, what he's really saying is don't get, don't get too hung up on, on what you're doing. He's, he's like, he's describing like um, if, if you... Um, are driving somewhere, have you ever driven somewhere and suddenly you're at your destination but you have no recollection of how you actually got there? Has that ever happened to you? Like, was I transported here? Did I just show up? Where have I been for the last 30 minutes? My, my a pathway on the road from my house to the church is so well known that I get in my car and I start coming and I land here and I don't remember getting here. Why? Because it's so ingrained in me. What Jesus is talking about here is something so ingrained in us that it comes out of a place of character, of life with him, that giving to the needy isn't about just doing the activity. It comes from a place of secrecy with him. It comes from a place of character rather than a place of doing it for someone else. It becomes automatic in us because of who we are. Does that make sense? So here, here he, says, he says it again in, uh, in verse 5. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Huh. Jesus not only wants to move past our actions to get to our motives. That's your fill in the blank there. He wants, us, he wants to move past our actions to get to our motives. But he, Jesus wants, he, he wants something out of prayer. He, he, says, he says, look, don't use all these words and repetitious things. He says, because your, your heavenly father already knows what you need, even before you ask him. Could, so could it be that prayer is more about love than information? Prayer is more about love than information. It's not as if we're getting together at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning or on Monday morning to, to come, come and tell ev- God everything that he needs to do. So, so prayer has more to do with relational dynamics than it does with exchanging information. And so Jesus wants us to be in life what we are in prayer. What he's saying is don't pray in front of other people and worry about your words and worry about what they'll think. He said, I want you to be the same person in the closet where you pray as the person that you are in public. I want there to be one person, one reality, 
not two different realities. In your hidden life, I don't want it to be different than your public life. The newspapers are filled with people who thought that they could hide something terrible. That they could, they could keep the secret. And they had a public reality and a private reality. It leads to destruction every time. God wants the same inside and out. And so spending time with him begins to change that, begins to, to make the reality, the public reality, reflect who he is and what he wants. And so look at the, the next passage. He says he, he's teaching on prayer, but then he goes down to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious. Everybody say obvious. It won't be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's amazing. Jesus is really big on this secret thing. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, I want you to do it so that you're concerned about me. Not so you're concerned about others. Jesus wants to have the only opinion that really matters. That's what, having, that's what spending time with Jesus every day does for us. It, it, it chooses his opinion over everybody else's. People, people always complain about fasting a little bit. You know, I want to caution you towards, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, I just want cheeseburgers. I just, Sometimes I get into that, right? I just want pizza. I really, what I really want is some chicken salad from Terry Savage. <laughs> Paul and Terry are in our church, and they, she makes the most delicious, glorious, heavenly chicken salad that is known to mankind. And I know that while I'm fasting, I will want some. <laughs> Complaining about fasting is sort of like complaining about being with him. Because you're not just going without food to impress people. What we're doing is we're establishing a secret life so that, so that even though we're going without food, and it, I, I don't want to create legalism here. It's okay to tell somebody, well, I'm fasting right now, so I, I, I can't participate here. That, that's not the end of the world. But there is something here that you're creating when you do this, because every hunger pang, right? You know how your stomach makes that noise? Every hunger pang is a reminder of something. What is a reminder of? It's a reminder that you're with Jesus, that you want your spiritual life to be in charge, that you want to be with him more than you want to be with others, that you want his influence rather than your decision-making to rule. That you want to everything that he wants, you want to be satisfied with him rather than just be satisfied in your flesh. That's what it is. That's what it is. And is it a discipline? Absolutely, but it is more of a yielding. It is more of a surrendering. It is more of giving everything. There is a reward in prayer, though. Make no mistake, there's a reward here. And the reward is God himself. I'll close with this. We, we don't have time for the rest of it. Um, I, I might give you the, um, 
the fill in the blanks here, but let me just end with this. Psalm 91, one through two says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. There's a secret in this verse. There's a secret to the secret place. It's a secret that what God does when, there's a re- when, when he wants, when we are willing to surrender to him, when we are willing to find our meaning and our purpose and our life in him, the Amplified Bible says it this way. Psalm 91, it says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. The secret to the secret place is that nothing can destroy you. The secret to the secret place is God's shadow that covers you. The secret to the secret place is you find refuge and a fortress. Nothing can destroy you. That's what God is interested in. He's not, he's interested in you and your life and what's going on. And he has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a desire. And if you'll just tap into that desire, you will find an incredible reward. Cultivating a, a, a healthy spiritual appetite. Here's what I want to say to you. Begin and end your day with spiritual food. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. <laughs> here's, the, here's, the, here's the conclusion. There are some things more satisfying than food. <laughs> I know that's hard to believe. I know that's hard to believe. But Jesus said there are some things more satisfying than food. Number two, connecting community for spiritual freedom. I, I think when you pray and fast and when, you, when, you're, when you're in a, this this dynamic of spiritual uh, um, increasing of your appetite. I think it helps to, to hang out with people. You have, of course, your all day long, you have your, your, your time w- with the Lord by yourself, but then I think there's a helpful element where you are in community, and th- that's one of the reasons we do the 6 a.m. prayer meeting, if you want to take advantage of that, and we're all going to be kind of working through these verses, one verse a day, uh, as, over the next 21 days. Acts 1.14 says, they all join together constantly in prayer in, in the first century church. Number three, fulfill your purpose with a spiritual focus. There's a purpose that God has for you, and you work it out in that secret place. You work it out As you pray, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says in Philippians. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, I I don't want you to skip over that verse right there. Last thing I want you to hear from me is it is God who works in you. You think that you got to do it all. The secret to the secret place is you don't do it. God does it in you. All you have to do is be with him. You have to worship him. You have to pray to him. You have to include him. Every day you will find a different perspective. You'll find a different authority. You'll find that God is working in you to accomplish and to fulfill his purpose. Close your eyes, bow your head, and I want you to, I want you to just let the Holy Spirit speak to you now about what he wants for you. I want you to think about your spiritual appetite 
how hungry for God you are or how, how much or how little you may be wanting him or listening to him. And this is a, this is a great moment for all of us. Some of us, it's so easy to get it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get consumed with what's going on in your life and in the world. And especially when there's brokenness or, or woundedness, something has happened that's really caused you to be disappointed. Listen, can I just tell you that he, Jesus wants to heal that hurt? Jesus wants to touch what's deep down on the inside of you and define you in a different way. And if you'll let him today, he will come. He will come. If you'll just let him do something new in you, if you'll just believe that there, it is possible, well, Pastor Ross, you don't know what I've done or you don't, you don't know where I've been or you don't know how resistant I've been. Listen, none of that matters. You, you come to him today. He wants to wipe the slate clean. He wants to give you a fresh start. He wants to begin again. He wants to create something new. And if you'll be willing, right? I'm not gonna call you for it. I'm not gonna... I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but if that's you, if you sense that the, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, you say, yes, Pastor Ross, that's me. I, I, I want to I jump in with everything I am, and I want to give my life to him again. Would you just lift your hand right now all over the room? Just don't, be, don't hesitate. Just say, yep, that's me. You described me. Yep, I see you back in the back. Who else? Who else? Yeah, over here on the side. Who else? Who else wants to make the decision? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going for it. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, come on, everybody, let's pray this prayer. Come on, just repeat after me, and we're going we're gonna to pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father. Come on, say it out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who teaches us how to love you, to serve you, to need you. Lord, I give my heart to you today. I want you above all else. Change my appetite. Change my life. I'm hungry for you. I receive you now. I repent of all my sins, all my failures, all my mistakes. And I start with you today. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that at prayer that everybody has prayed together, this, this moment where we start with you today, that you do something new right here, right now, where you kind of clean away the, all the junk and all the gunk of our past, and then you, you brighten and open up the future. Lord, do that in our hearts today. Convince us that the future is bright because you're with us. Lord, I pray that you would push back the darkness that wants to cloud people's minds. I pray that you'd push back the enemy that wants to accuse and wants to cause people to be guilty, guilt-ridden, condemned. Father, you didn't come to the world. You didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save us, to rescue us. And so, Lord, rescue us. Put us on a new path. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.